Let's just remember, pickets and strikes, they're like a nice way to do things. They aren't like destroying the machinery of your work. They're not sabotage. They're not attacking any th- people or things. Uh, and I think, for example, if you were to legislate against strikes and pickets, I don't know, I, I, I personally think that makes other options. Yeah, I think it's... If... <laughs> Careful! <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's just say that Takeshi's castle will be the least of your worries. cold actually am i not okay just to squeeze in here i've left a snickers no 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 that's how it's not how this works i just don't understand why i can't come in well firstly this is a picket second because we've already recorded most of the episode anyway yeah but we need to record the intro to the episode well why so you can say welcome to mandatory redistribution party my name is sean morley yeah and then you say my name is jack lewis evans and then we sketch out the topic in a little vignette we don't need it the topic will become clear as people listen the picket stays okay well we need to say the bit where we tell people that they can support the podcast on patreon.com slash mandatory redistribution party at least at the bare minimum nah people will just share the episode on social media our solidarity with my strike what strike we decide onion union that says union okay you formed a union without me i formed a union against you i'm not getting this what are your demands i don't know if this is really the venue for this but it's mouse noise i'm not following you like the bulk of amando's edit is morley mouse noise removal mate i've had enough this is this is exactly what i'm talking about (sighs) sorry I was just chugging a lilt. A lilt? Rare. Dying breed of pop. So this is just you here? So far. You could join me, I suppose. Yeah, go on then. You got a placard. Oh no! It's the police! The cops! Uh, maybe they're here to help. Help? Help me, I mean. Did you just join the union? Did you just join the picket? What's all this thing? Target locked. Detaining prisoner. Ah. Oink <laughs> contained. It was peaceful! Is that a Fanta? No way, man. It's a lilt. Listen to this. Ah. <laughs> Oh, I feel sick. Would you ever cross a picket line? No, it's it's hardwired in now. I don't know if you can like like thought experiment me through a picket line of like trolley problemed, or I'm surrounded <laughs> by picket lines. Like everything around me is a picket, and the picketers yeah. all like it's a it's a it's a tragedy of the commons. <laughs> where like the picketers all individually, all their campaigns are just. Yeah but they've actually got me trapped in and I can't go anywhere without mm. going through a picket. Mm. Even up is a picket. Maybe you're on some sort of large wobble board and if you fall off it, you will plummet through a picket through no choice of your own. Like So, Ooh, so it yeah. becomes a physical challenge. Like You morally and, and mentally do not wish to cross the picket. However, you can't categorically say you'd never cross a picket because what if the picket's at the bottom of a slide you're going down? Yeah, what if it's like socialist Takeshi's castle? Yeah. But if you like fall off the stepping stone stones or like the giant wobbling platforms Mm. it's into a business full of scabs (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're you would cross a picket line here's a situation i would cross a picket line willingly there is a business fully operational due to the the labor of traitor scabs (laughs) and i am being launched at them as a weapon they used to use catapults to break a siege so if if a if if you were sieging a castle Everyone in the castle is eventually going to get very hungry because they'll run out of food. So what you do is you catapult a cow over the walls and then everyone goes, oh, there's all this beef now, but you've poisoned the beef and then everyone Mm. eats the poisoned beef. I would be willing to be the bad beef. (laughs) Make sure you're dead from the poison first or do you want to die from the impact? No, I want them to think that 
I don't know why the scabs have got nothing else. I'm, assure, I'm assuming management has provided them with loads of stuff like little treats, scab nip, Kinder Buenos. You had it here first, Kinder Buenos, <laughs> the snack for scabs. <laughs> or, or the entire Kinder brand, Kinder Eggs, mm -hmm. Kinder Surprise. What's the surprise? There's no surprise. Yeah. It's been eaten by a scab. Really happy to announce we have our first anti-sponsor. <laughs> All of Kinder's rivals have mm. paid us to just slag off Kinder. If you actually peel off, um, the, 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 it's a, a rebrand that no one knows about, but they're all actually Scabber, Scabber Surprise. Yeah. Um, and then they, even, what they're trying to do is insist that uh, Scabber was pronounced uh, Scaber, like they've done with the word kinder. Are you scabbing? Pfft, kinder. Planning <laughs> 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 union meetings where management have suggested, they've basically tried to get us to not do a picket because they're worried it will intimidate staff. Obviously, I didn't say this, but I, I want to say, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Why do you think we would do it? When the people do it, what do you think that's for? I like, I know, I know Pickett's like to have a, a representation of the strike. So it isn't just the, your absence. It's like, you'll go in there. So if anyone wants to talk about it and it's to educate and it's to be an open person to talk to, to talk to members of the public or talk to other people about the strike and it's to be a presence. And I know it is illegal to be intimidated and like wield fucking weapons or something on a, on a picket line. However, I do think that if you are crossing a picket line and you feel bad about that, if you feel guilt, like if you are working in that workplace and you are crossing a picket line, undermining the collective action of other workers, who's, if, if the strike succeeds, you will get the benefit of their sacrifice without having made the sacrifice. And you feel bad about that. You should feel bad about that. You should feel dreadful. Mm -hmm. you, are, you are bad. And I think there is something very effective to being like, here's a door, mm. here's maybe 10 people. Mm. And if you go through the door, all these people will be upset. <laughs> that yeah. is powerful. Yeah, yeah. That is something. Hi, our quality of life is actually mm. dependent on you not going through that door, but in no way will we stop you. Yeah. Okay. Um, hmm. <laughs> I was working at a, a school once and we were, on, we were on strike and we were on the picket uh, and this guy who worked on the premises team like strike law is obviously very restrictive in the UK uh, you can legally only have six people on a picket mm -hmm. but also people don't know what. so strike law is very restrictive in the UK however people think that if they're in the scab sorry a different union and their union isn't on strike they're like, well, I've got to go in because we've not voted for strike. However, if if so, if one union is on strike, you are legally protected the same as that union. Mm -hmm. So if you're, for example, as we record this, the NEU teachers union is on strike. However, the NAS union, what does the S stand for? I don't know. Something. It stands for something. <laughs> they didn't vote to strike because they can't organize for shit, but they would be legally protected to strike, even though their union didn't vote to strike. So you don't have to be in the specific union that's striking. In UK law, which is very conservative, uh, but this, sorry, yeah, this guy, he wasn't on, he wasn't on teaching staff, he was on um, premises uh, and he approaches us. You do have solidarity from a lot of people who like come out and offer you a brew or whatever, but they're still... They're anyway. coming from, from the yeah, building. From, yeah. yeah, yeah. And also they're coming from that, I think they're coming from that guilt they rightly feel. And this guy, <laughs> this guy just straight up provided the number plates of everyone who had crossed the picket line via the car entry and just went, here you go. That's great. The, the, the fucking rot at the heart of British workers' brain of like, I, I don't want a picket to be intimidating. Yeah, that's what it's supposed to do. I don't want a strike. Is there a way to strike that can't it be inconvenient? Hmm, do you know what a strike is? Yeah, I guess one way we could achieve that is just if the employers just agree now to our time. <laughs> so don't come talking to us. Literally, the power is with the, the other part of the yeah. negotiation. If you didn't want to have any of the disadvantages for strike, there is only one body here yeah. that can instantaneously fix that, and they've chosen not to. So don't even come to us. People don't understand the basic purpose of what these strategies are and why they're good. I think it's even, like, we're talking about the brain worm regarding oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. how the UK perceives strikes. Isn't it mad in all of the, like, both sides-ism yeah. that we've been subject to regarding every major issue and minor issue mm. of any importance, the whole like broadcasting brief is both sides, mm. but with strikes, which is fundamentally a dispute between two bodies, mm -hmm. you know, the employers and the workers. Mm -hmm. When it's just the strikers are at fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And That's we hear side. from 
what the bosses have to say. I've seen strikes be discounted as like, oh, it's, it's just greedy, you just want more pay. It's like, well, do you know that that is the only thing you can legally strike over is your own terms and conditions because it's Thatcher. So you can't strike in solidarity with other workers. Mm -hmm. Well, you can't legally. You could, of course, just do it. And if enough people do it, they're fucked. But, you know, secondary picketing is illegal. If teachers went on strike and the only thing they said they were striking on was students' learning conditions. Mm. The classic educational strike line is uh, teachers' working conditions are students' learning conditions, which is absolutely true. But you couldn't strike just saying that, you know, this is affecting students. You have to legally, to ballot for a strike, the Thatcherite logic of your individual desire for money in your specific job mm -hmm. is, the, is the only thing you're allowed to take action on. And then, but that is then used as a means to undermine. It's like, oh, you don't actually care about, nurses don't actually care about patients, teachers don't actually care about students, um, mm -hmm. rail workers don't actually care about the safety of passengers. Like, it's illegal to, it's literally, they couldn't explicitly just strike about those things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. by law, by law that the Tories wrote and Labour um, just kept. Just coming back to like how everything gets framed around what the strikers should to have, ought to have done. Uh -huh. Like, okay, the trains have been disrupted. Okay, but I'm sure there's actually less disruption caused by the strikes that are caused by the way in which the rail infrastructure run. Yeah, is yeah, yeah. run by uh -huh. the people who own it. Yes, like, correct. The trains are all gone. They mm. don't run yeah. and they're cancelled yeah. and they run at mismatch time. They're undermanned and mm. the workforce, the amount of people that are actually hired mm. is so few that it causes the cancellations, which is why you can't get to your job. Mm -hmm. So why would you only say you're causing disruption to the one group that has negotiating power yeah. to try and fix that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one thing that can improve it, you object to. That brain rot. Oh, the, the paramedics on are on strike, the nurses are on strike. Think how this will affect patients. Yeah, how has private healthcare firms parasiting on the NHS and all these insane reforms, how's that fucked up people's lives and mm -hmm. slowed down people getting the care they need? It doesn't become a concern until the, the strike takes place. How How is uh, academization and basically turning educational institutions into businesses? Like, how has that affected learning? How have, edu how have educational reforms uh, that focus on just retaining knowledge and regurgitating it in an exam context fucked up students' learning? Like, the slow grinding horror that is perpetuated by capital and the state on people is never newsworthy because it's just seen as this inevitable background radiation that's, like, mm -hmm. as natural as rain and wind. It's just a force of nature. Whereas when workers take action, that's disruption. And because it's perpetual yeah. and just unstoppable, yeah. you can't run a news article about like, all the businesses are running things for profit. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh yeah, oof. Yeah. Bad day. <laughs> the employers seem to have an objective to uh, lower the pay and worsen the conditions of the workers in order to improve their proper yeah. profits. Exclusive. And that's, and that's yeah. built into our system. Sky News exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that helps create this is the picketers are outside. Yeah. They can get like Vox popped and man on the streeted. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Yeah. So like all the camera crews could be like whoosh, mm -hmm. trucking right into their face as they're just trying to hold a placard being like, why are you doing this? And it's like, I've been here for like four hours and, I'm, <laughs> and I haven't eaten and now yeah. you want to lay out our like whole negotiation platform. Mm -hmm. Me now, you've just yeah. wandered up to me. But if you're trying to do the same with the bosses, you get the camera crew, hey, let's get the bosses. And the person who guards the door goes, oh, you're not actually allowed in here. Yes. Oh, okay. So we'll just uh, we'll just bother the picketers. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we'll bother the picketers and then we'll cut to the studio and we'll have someone from the Institute of Economic Affairs, a Tory MP, a Labour MP, and Satan himself. Mm -hmm. So everyone knows strikes, right? Strikes is like the thing people think of with unions. Mm -hmm. Would you agree? Uh, but there's more than this, though. There's more. And let's just think about how we do it. So how would you start, Sean? How would you organise a workplace? Presumably there's a body that is the union yeah. that's already exists, right? So I want to find out, do I have a rep? Mm. And if there's no representation, contact the main body and be like, oh, does it got to be me? Does it got to be me then? <laughs> that's an interesting thing, isn't it? That's like a sort of interesting thing, one of, because the union is supposed to be the workers. The union is the workers, right? But I think we're all in a bit of a brain space where we think of the union as like existing outside our workplace and a thing that we go and like ask for help. And that's certainly the context in a lot of jobs, isn't it? The union is already something that's existed probably before a lot of us were like born and exists outside and then you like go and ask it for help. But the union really should be the workers in the workplace. But the weird thing about a union is that, like, it mainly exists for, like, protest, 
protesting <laughs> against conditions, protesting against bosses. But it's the only form of like protest I could think of right now mm. that exists within the legal and business system as opposed to outside of it. It's like legally recognized. There are things you can legally do. Well, yeah, I think that's a bit of a slippery one as well. So it's like, if you're sticking to legally recognised, a lot of the earliest victories of unions are from when they were not legally recognised. Sure, yeah. It's a weird thing that's happened, isn't it? Because it's like, oh, well, this is the stuff I'm protected to do. Like a strike, you can, you're like, okay, well, if I follow these rules, if I, if I do a secret ballot and I give my employer notice uh, and we go, on, we go on strike on this specific day then that's, prote that's a protected activity. Yeah. But you could still do the other stuff. You could still do a, a wildcat strike, technically. It would just be uh, illegal. But it creates this weird... like it's a, the, the, the legalisation of unions and union action is this double-edged sword, right? Because the mm. police aren't allowed to go and break up your picket because it's legally recognised. Yeah. But it also means that over time you can squeeze what's legally possible smaller and smaller mm. and smaller, and it creates this like disjunct in the decision-making of being like, well... We, we won't get bothered or harassed if we do this borderline useless thing that the, the degree of votes we would need are, like, astronomical. Like, we'd need everyone who's off sick to, like, cast their vote and stuff. We could do that and then no one could bother us. Mm. We do the other thing and we risk question mark, question mark, police batons. Wow, we're just getting sacked. Like, that's yeah, the sure. power your employer has over you, isn't it? Like, yeah, it's interesting how, like, the union has been integrated. The union is the permissible form of expressing unhappiness with something in your work. But even that, it, there's, like, mega scepticism around from bosses in the media. Even the thing that has been decided upon us, uh -huh. this is your tool, this is yeah. your method. The legal system recognises this as a valid method for mediating workplace disputes, mm. and then you do it, and then everyone's like, you're a monster, you're destroying the business, you've made the boss cry, my children <laughs> need to learn their sums and you won't let them because you want a big fridge, how dare you? Yeah, going on strike for a smeg fridge, demand number one. We want the entire teaching staff to have a separate fridge freezer for the beers. Yeah, it's weird because it's a compromise, but even, even the strike, which is weirdly the sort of thing that's allowed you're allowed to do a strike in very specific circumstances for for your own paying conditions mm -hmm. with a secret ballot with notice to the employer you can go on strike but sick-ins or a good work strike or fun <laughs> sabotage <laughs> there's there's a lot of tools in the toolkit that are just i love there, the strike right? action that are more like trolling like work to rule is always the funniest mm -hmm. Yeah, work to, work to rule where you're like, mm, let me just check my contract. No, it doesn't say I have to say please. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I think um, like go slows as well, being like, I'm doing the best I can. It's just these old joints. <laughs> and you're there like typing, you're just doing data input, but you're doing like just your two fingers and you're just constantly checking back, constantly adjusting your glasses <laughs> like you're a dinosaur. Also, you could just be like, just pretend you can't hear management. Everyone's got an ear infection. Mm -hmm. There's just, yeah. there's, so, sorry, you've got like a big um, listening tube, like a foghorn thing. Excuse me. <laughs> I like dual power, and that is where if the boss is not given into a demand, if you've you have got to like, them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you slap them with a glove. Um, it's where you just do the thing anyway. So if 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 they are not given into a demand, but you have employees who could make the demand happen, then you just do it. That's great. You just like ignore, you're like, well, we don't actually need your approval. We can just start doing this. Yeah, um, we all took a vote. You voted against, we voted for. Instead of waiting for you to go through payroll or whatever, we will just every day take our money from the till. Mm -hmm. And if everyone agrees on that, except the boss, what's they, what are they going to do? Yeah, so we took a vote. <laughs> <laughs> like, obviously... Um, that would, uh, you know, there's a load of things where that would be theft and you could get yourself in big, big trouble doing that. Do you know what but else is theft? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there's blinders on in the possibilities of it because a lot of workplace action that isn't strike action is, is in the category of illegal. But if enough people do a thing, then it becomes impossible for the employer or the state to punish you for it. Mm -hmm. They'll bloody try, though. I'm not saying, you know, don't go around thinking, oh, well, if enough of us do this, we can do whatever we want. But there is, there is a truth to that. Or do you know what? Let's just go through the ba let, let's go through basics, step-by-step -step organizing. I've done this a bit myself. I've done it in, in a couple of contexts. One in retail when I was younger, 
and uh, secondly, as a teaching rep. Again, the thing, like coming back to what you said before, Sean, of like, oh no, is it, is it me? Am I going to have to do this? And like getting in touch with an outside organization. Both mm -hmm. of the times I've done union things, I've done it with an outside organization. However, the thing that makes the union effective is all of the stuff you do in your specific workplace. Like yeah. even when you get involved with other workplaces and other people, the, the most useful things you'll do externally is like the support you'll get for morale and just learning things and learning strategies and recontextualizing what you're doing in your place from other workers in another place rather than necessarily like the bureaucracy, capital T, capital B. Like, you know, myself going into negotiations or meetings with HR, you can think, you know, who the fuck am I? You know, and you get insecure about it. But your, your power and anyone's power, you know, say you got like, you know, people can have confidence in an external rep coming in to like represent them or negotiate with someone because they're like, oh, this person's like an expert in this. They've, they're they a specialised professional at doing union stuff. But all of their power they have as that person sat in that meeting is the workers. Any institution that's like this where you can organize like this requires labor, requires workers to function. And that mm -hmm. is the power of the union negotiator more so than their sort of specialist magical knowledge. Anyway, before you get to that though, you gotta like organize your workplace. That's the bread and butter of, of getting stuff done because your power in any negotiation comes from, you, you know, you, but by your power, I mean like you as the collective. The more people you've got in the union, the more organized they are, the more solid they are. Like if you were to take any action, you know that it's going to be solid. That's good. So step one is map your workplace. So get people's contact information, which could be a piece of piss. Loads of workplaces just have the uh, staff WhatsApp where they yeah. manage shifts and they talk about stuff outside of work. A lot of it's just chatting to people, just chatting to people one-on-one -on -one or, or, you know, small little groups. And that could be like, a little five minutes at a lunch break, a, a tiny couple, you know, it could be like five little conversations in a row across a month in the tea room. Um, and if you're, if you're, as like Sean said, if you've ended up being the individual who's going to be the start of this collective thing, remember the, the basics of what you're doing is listening to people, 80, 20, 80% listening, 20% you talking, and a lot of the 20% will be just asking questions to find out what people are annoyed about. Like one of the most powerful questions you have. I mean, you got to know someone to just directly ask them this, but any version of what pissed off about, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, you can't start a conversation with that if someone seems calm, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you pissed off yeah, about? Yeah, you pissed off Sorry, about. Sorry, <laughs> I'm just having my sandwiches. <laughs> but what you want to find out is that's you're trying to find out grievances. So find out what people are pissed off about, and that might be pay, but it could be a billion other things. It could be just like a, a particular manager is a dickhead um or the way something's done often there's like management or is insisting something is done some way but loads of people can clearly see a better way of doing it and are just being blanked mm -hmm. it could be just something like that just talk to people and also you need to be a trustworthy non-dickhead sound individual uh because the power of the union is is the power of the workers together and if you're trying to build that initially you need to be someone people can trust if you're a tool that you're not going to get anything to happen. So also do this sneaky, sneak mode, Metal Gear Solid. In the path of someone's radicalization, you know, you can see yourself getting radicalized at work because you're, you're pissed off. You're pissed off about mm -hmm. something. And when people are pissed off, they might kick off. So you might go, oh, right, I'm going to um, immediately try and do some leaflet or I'm going to kick off. I'm going to like lose my shit uh, at a manager. No, that's just going to get you labelled as a troublemaker, which you are going to be labelled as anyway. If you it will happen, you know, but you've got, happen. A, you've got a window. You want to keep that window yeah. before <laughs> you're absolutely yeah. tarnished. I think when you get the troublemaker label, uh, if you are going to remain in any kind of rep position, uh, you know, you want to have lots and lots of workers behind you. Yeah, you, 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 you don't want it to happen because you've just made a bad, silly mistake. Because that's the, you're not powerful as an individual. Employers are way more powerful than individual employees, hence union. The, the power of workers is collective. So just remember that in your individual behavior that you are working towards collective action, not you doing some like big speech or <laughs> making some rage leaflet yourself. Basically, what you're doing here in this first stage is mapping your workplace, physically mapping it, like the actual geography of the place. Where do the different people work? How does how do different um, departments interact? 
Uh, and then you're also socially mapping it, who's mates with who, and then all the stuff that happens where... Who is, who is Bezzy mates with the boss? Who mm -hmm. is the boss's nephew? These are things to be aware of, and also things better to find out through your individual chats. Mm -hmm. What you're not looking for here, again, common mistake is, you're not looking for people who are like, this person seems a uh, communist. That's not what you're doing. Because uh, someone could be, someone could be giving off big Tory vibes, or they might just be like a small C conservative, but they could actually be a really, really good organiser. They could be better uh, than you being a, a, a rep or something, but you just don't, you wouldn't stumble across them because you write them off because of their, what you perceive their political ideology to be. And then equally, you can have people who, let's say, talk the talk, but yeah. do not walk the walk through either uh, will, uh, lack of will or incompetence. Um, and also, even if someone is quite Tory in their sort of general vibe, they might even vote Tory. They are still in this context a worker and want their job to be better. Because it helps every like if you just get a if you score a win on anything, like it appeals to something a bit more fundamental than anyone's like broader social ideology of like the thing I do every day could be that little bit better. Mm. And if they can see that that's possible, because presumably the thing you want to watch out for is like you got to bring whatever the action is to the concerns that you're hearing about when you're talking yes. to people. Yes. You, can't, you can't come to it with this like, I've got this big idea of we'll make this union and here's what we'll do first and here's what we'll do second. No. It's like, well, no, you have to like, you have to know what everyone's bothered about. And if you could score any win, even if it's something that you do not care about or doesn't even affect your department, if you score that win, you've got people who are like, oh. This works. You're not trying to convince people of an ideology. You're just trying to convince people of, like, causation. Yeah, <laughs> if you yeah, do yeah. this, this other thing will happen. And go, yeah, I guess, I, I guess it does. Like, if you can just show that the union works. And then equally, you know, there's a problem. I'm saying this day to anything of listening to people and bring out people's grievances. You might talk to someone and find out their main grievance is that they are just racist. <laughs> Like, yeah. that's the thing that could happen. Don't um, fold that in, okay? Don't, yeah. don't fold that in. <laughs> but what you want to do is just be like, okay, in your, you know, notes, which again, don't put this in some um, Google Doc that's going to get leaked, right? But you could record it somewhere and then you'll have an idea of, okay, well, this, this person... They've got some problematic ideas that we'll need to challenge. Currently a bad egg. Uh, and then there's that whole thing of like, well, they say it's because of immigration and blah, 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 mm. this demographic. And then there's this temptation to be like, well, they say that, but maybe their anxieties are actually caused by this material thing. Yes. And I'll sort of count it as that. And then you solve that material thing. And they're like, no, I'm just a racist. I'm just, <laughs> those things will never bother me. I hate people who aren't like me. <laughs> And in your one-to-one -one conversations, you are not talking about fucking communism or leftism or socialism or Lenin <laughs> or Jeremy Corbyn or any of that shit. Anything, go really individual. Go to the work, the workplace and specific workplace grievances. And then you can have those chats. Again, 80-20 ratio, listening, 20% you talking and a lot of that talking will be questions and try to guide people. You can guide people to, um, you know, heavily leftist conclusions. So if you're like, oh, mm, so, you know, you're unhappy about pay. Why do you think they're not paying us that much? Oh, well, is it because they want to make more money from what we're doing? Yeah, yeah. And then, you it know, and you can, and you <laughs> can't can do, say anything for sure. But. Yeah. <laughs> and then you can do follow-up questions and you can take people from the little individual things to the big general things. And you, you, you can use workplace organizing as a foundation for other stuff. But start with the small stuff and the priorities the small stuff because that's the thing everyone in the workplace has got in common everyone in the workplace is, has in common that they have shared have shared grievances they all work at that workplace and that their power is collective in through organizing on those workplace grievances so not don't go big brain yeah don't, don't go, go abstract brain. right this is such a practical thing yeah someone's just now you have to be actively bleeding through your eyes to take a day off work do you think that's shit we don't need to read any books from yeah. the 1950s <laughs> just, just a bit of a not the best use of your time no no the way I'm talking about organising here is in a workplace in general and I guess we're talking under this umbrella of unions but I'm talking about this in general so for example in a teaching context 
there is like the teachers union, but there are a lot of people who work in educational institutions that are not teachers. There are cleaners who are more often than not now working for an outside agency that the, so there's another layer there of like, they're not directly employed by the school. They are employed by an agency that the school is paying. And then there's probably like premises or estate staff who like fix stuff and keep the building working. And then there's probably the IT department HR, uh, HR, you're probably not going to radicalize It's just not, can't not doable. <laughs> <laughs> just Mordor is just yeah. something you've got so, to get through. It's not something you can improve. But there's, there's, there's a lot of different things. And, you know, technically in some workplaces, it's like because of the way, again, if we're thinking about unions as these external things rather than the workers in a workplace, we're thinking of like the teacher's union. Um, then you're like, oh, well, this person can't be in my union. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be organizing with them. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean they shouldn't be part of this mapping process and this idea of like physically mapping and socially mapping your workplace. Because every educational institution I've worked in, there's been someone who always, um, you know, might go around like delivering mail, mm-hmm. right? And then they might not be like a teacher person, but you want to know them because they're a really useful person uh, to, to know and, and have a good relationship with because they'll see everyone. Because if they're taking posts around everywhere every day, they're talking to way more people than you are. Mm-hmm. If if they're on board, that's going to be way more useful than them being against you or being apathetic, right? A lot of the stuff you can do organizing-wise, obviously there's these national things, you know, like there's a teacher strike or whatever, but a lot of the organizing in a workplace can be done in that workplace informally without saying we're a union. And it can be mm-hmm. done alongside you being in in the, you know, the union or whatever. But the type of organizing I'm talking about is just like, is organizing your workplace, organizing together and being aware of what people are pissed off about, who's sound, who's solid, who might be a problem, mm-hmm. um, and knowing that and having it in your head and, you know, maybe recorded on paper or digitally somewhere, but just don't get that. It, would be, it wouldn't be ideal if that, got sent out especially if you like like especially if you have got that thing yeah. of like the person well uh, you've noted down that paul's a racist it's like well yes paul is a racist that's why i wrote that down but <laughs> i just like to map things yeah i have a i, have a, I don't remember people's i don't remember names very well so yeah. i write them all down but then i go well whose name is that i think that's the racist that's the racist guy's name it's more of a memory aid the hammer and sickle yeah i have to get those from wicks on the way home <laughs> But do, and also, you know, so there's stuff like, you know, a person who might be sending the post around, but also someone who is just a generally popular person. So someone who is popular or someone who people might go to with their problems, that's a useful person to have on side. Because all of this is, what I'm talking about, it's like you as an individual are like starting the ball rolling on a thing, but you want it to be as, it's not about you. You need to get, you are like, one part of a larger thing. So a lot of this organizing, you want to be sharing between people. So this mapping process should be done collectively. Like if you can get a few people and you're like, okay, well, there's those people who work in this building, but I mainly work in this building. Who's the person in that building that can do the ma- this mapping for that building with you? Mm. And then you can work together. So mapping, that's the first thing. And do this sneaky, do this on the sneaky sneak, lots of one-to-one conversations. And you do this for a long time before you start doing anything like having a big meeting. Mm. Um, and then in that meeting, you're probably not going to get everyone, but that's where you want to start getting. Have you? Has anyone got any other ideas about this? Is there any way we can expand this or get more detail of it? So knowing the people you're organizing with um, and what their issues are and what everyone's strengths and weaknesses are is really, really important. Then start organizing, start working out, right, what are people's jobs going to be? What are people kind of interested in and good at within union organizing? If you are going to yeah. make a leaflet, is there someone who is... Can anyone help? do graphic design? Yeah, yeah, you just right. need graphic design. <laughs> no clip art. Uh, or is someone, good at, is someone better at one-to-one conversations? Is someone better at having a one-to-one conversation um, with someone else? Well, or for example, are loads of the cleaners who are agency staff, are they like foreign workers and you aren't and their their first language is different than yours is yeah. is there someone whose first language is there someone who can talk talk to them in their first language rather than you just like having a really awkward clunky convo um there's a lot of uh low-paid foreign workers in yeah. so many industries and even just to write something down that's like going to be passed around but mm-hmm. making sure it's in the relevant languages that is a massive undertaking in your first meeting what you don't want is that thinking of the union as an external thing 
I, I think there's a there can be a bit of a jarring thing between like the union and just organizing your workplace in general. Having a workers meeting where there's people there who are not who are from the different categories of worker who may have separate unions. You know, mm. so there might be workers in a in a in an educational context who might be NEU workers and the workers who might be more unite as their union. That it is a good thing for you to have a meeting together and talk about things specific to your workplace and try to give everyone a job. So rather than this being a thing where either a talking shop where you're just talking, no, try to avoid that, or a a thing where it's like you're reporting something the external union has told you to share with everyone. Yeah. Make it about, right, what are we doing together? Because that is the power of a union, that's the power of workers is organising together and go, right, what steps can we take? Okay, we haven't got on our contact list a phone number for these people. You work near them. Could you have a chat with them this week and then next time we have a meeting? we can add them to the list. You know, give everyone a little a little job. And then the next meeting you have, everyone's had a little win, right? They're mm. coming with their little success. And they, everyone also realizes, ah, this is me, this is us. This is us together. Yeah. You know, gives people ownership of it rather than the traditional. And again, this is why I'm drawing a little bit of a distinction between workplace organizing and being in a union. So loads of the ways like unions recruit people is, is these are the union benefits list leaflet yeah. we've got a Pay special offer with santander and you can access these things yeah and then you contact us if you have a problem we don't necessarily know anyone who works where you work but we are a big body with some resources and then just keep doing the one-to-one -one conversations and do this through and just work out again what what people's grievances are what people are pissed off about and either go get a bundle of them or if it's a single issue that you think okay lots of people have mentioned this one thing and then try and do something about that. And again, this doesn't mean strike action. It could just mean going, right, at that, at that point, eventually they're going to find out you've done this. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone's, and it, you know, everyone's pissed off about things. And then just do a collective letter, a collective letter where you're like, we think the way this is being done currently is bad. We think it should be done this way. And we think this change should be made by this date, the undersigned. Mm -hmm. And normally that will make an employer go, oh, yeah, because oh, if they've never had uh -oh. this before, that genuinely can be like, uh oh, here comes trouble. Just give them the thing. <laughs> and everything I've said there, like, there's, I haven't talked about strikes, but having an organised workplace, and then if a specific thing happens, like if there is, so one of the things I dealt with was a fucking shit absence policy. If you organise people, if if loads and loads of people are pissed off about a thing, and then you organise people against that thing, management are more than likely to change it if you get them rattled. Especially um, if you've got a lot of people and, and the change is so specific, we just want this one thing to be changed. Mm. Often it's gonna be more resources to fight it than it is just to revert one bad decision. We at Mandos think strikes are good, actually. The strike is the worker's hammer. Right now in the UK, workers across numerous industries are taking strike action. But is it enough? Could the strikes be more effective if they were sustained rather than one or two days a month? Could the strikes be even more effective if industries organised their strikes to land on the same days? Might the bosses relent sooner if the worker's hammer swung against him was one massive hammer and it kept swinging till he gave up and said, No, stop hitting me with a hammer. This, friends, is the general strike. In her 1906 book, The Mass Strike, revolutionary and theorist Rosa Luxemburg explored the role of the mass strike in revolutionary struggle. I'm gonna try and sum up her argument here. Firstly, the mass strike is a natural, spontaneous form of struggle that arises from the working class itself. Secondly, the mass strike is not just a tactic for achieving immediate economic demands, but also a way to challenge the social and political order, and ultimately to achieve a revolutionary transformation of society. Finally, the mass strike is not without its risks and limitations and requires careful organisation and prep, as well as political clarity and strategic vision. Luxembourg sees the mass strike as a dynamic, democratic and creative form of struggle that can challenge existing power relations and open new possibilities for social change. And mass strikes have brought about significant change. Luxembourg was writing in response to the 1905 revolution in Russia, which emerged from mass strikes and forced the Tsar to establish an elected legislature and legalise trade unions. Mass strikes in France in 1936 welcomed the electoral victory of the Popular Front and helped guarantee concessions to workers. Mass strikes in Portugal between 1974 and 75 helped overthrow the fascist government there. All of these had limits, but they are examples of mass strikes achieving something beyond specific workers' paying conditions. So big strike, big success, right? Well, uh, 
let me introduce you to the General Strike of 1926, the biggest mass strike in UK history. The strike lasted for nine days, from the 3rd of May to the 12th of May. The strike was called by the Trades Union Congress in support of coal miners facing wage cuts and longer working hours. The leaders of the Labour Party at the time, which despite representing many unions prioritised its electoral ambitions, were reluctant to support the strike, afraid it could go beyond the miners' economic demands and become a political struggle, just like Luxembourg wrote about in 1906. The Labour Party wanted to be the avenue of working class politics and wanted their method of getting seats in the House of Commons to be vindicated. And if strikes could bring about political change, that'd be a problem. So the general strike began at midnight on the 3rd of May, with workers from a range of industries walking out in solidarity with the miners. The strike was solid and brought the country to a near standstill. Against the workers' courage and determination, the ruling class responded with ruthless force, using the police and the army to break up picket lines and intimidate strikers. The government, led by Conservative Prime Minister Stanley Baldwin, declared the strike illegal and mobilised all the resources at its disposal to defeat it. The reactionary press, controlled by the capitalist class and one personally controlled by the Chancellor Winston Churchill, vilified the strikes as revolutionary and agitators in a crude attempt to divide and conquer the working class. However, despite the oppressive actions of the state, the workers showed incredible resilience and solidarity, refusing to be cowed by the state's attempts to crush their movement. According to numerous sources from TUC reports, cabinet intelligence bulletins and the Ministry of Labour, the strike was solid and gaining strength day by day. Workers' defence corps were spontaneously organised to shield picket lines from police assault. Over 400 grassroots councils of action sprang up to protect vulnerable individuals and run essential services. And there were more strikes day by day. The strike was getting stronger. Then, after nine days on the 12th of May, 1926, as the strike was growing in power, the TUC called it off. And the rank and file did what they were told, except the miners. Now alone, the MFGB continued their strike for months before returning to work after basically being starved with longer working hours and lower pay. Victorious, the state soon acted to prevent further mass strikes, passing the Trades Disputes and Trade Unions Act of 1927, which banned sympathy strikes, general strikes and mass picketing. So why did this general strike fail? Total lack of leadership and strategy from the TUC. The trade union leaders lacked faith in the strike and only went along with it to prevent the rank and file directing it themselves. They called off the strike after nine days, but were in secret talks with the government trying to stop the strike from the fourth day. They were trying to stop the strike from a position of strength. The TUC had taken leadership of a strike they didn't want to happen. Labour politician and TUC General Council member J.R. Clines wrote in his memoirs, No general strike was ever planned or seriously planned as an act of trade union policy. I told my union in April that such a strike would be a national disaster. We were against the stoppage, not in favour of it. In the run-up to the strike, the TUC Special Industrial Committee had warned trade unionists not to be influenced by unauthorised and unofficial suggestions which were being made in many quarters regarding the mining problem. They could have been planning for months, they knew it was on the cards, the government knew it was on the cards, but they hadn't. And you can see how this manifested. For example, at the start of the strike, the workers could have had effective control of the food supply and leveraged this for their political, social and economic goals. Controlling the food supply has massive strategic value, but they weren't willing to exercise it to those ends, with the TUC leader writing to the Prime Minister before the strike even began to reassure them they wouldn't interfere. Obviously, ceding control of food weakens the strike, but it also has other problems. Writing about the abuse of food transport permits in Liverpool, Merseyside Council of Action Strike Bulletin stated, Permits issued are being abused and vans labelled food only are being used to transport blacklegs, metal and machinery. Trucks full of scabs pretending to be potatoes. The TUC also imposed control from above by deciding to organise the strike in waves. The strike was solid and there was willingness to go all out at the same time. But despite this being called a general strike, like I'm literally calling it a general strike now, it kind of wasn't. Different workers were out on different days. Whole industries like textiles and the postal service had voted solidly for action and the TUC didn't call them out. The government and the ruling class were rattled even at this half measure, this wave system. So think what could have been achieved with some actual will. The TUC also issued orders without any concrete plan because they'd refused to plan for a general strike, they deferred a lot of the practicalities to local organisations or individual unions who also had no plan. For example, the TUC decided light and power should be separate waves. The electricians union in the London district tried to point out that it was impossible to separate power and light and demanded all members of the union in power stations go on strike. To be fair, the TUC did accept this and their response was to decide neither sector should go on strike. So the general strike of 1926 failed, the biggest strike in UK history. It was a moment of great strength and unity among the working class, but ultimately failed because the bureaucratic labour leadership lacked the will or strategy to create the kind of mass strike described by Rosa Luxemburg. The workers' own leaders threw the miners under the bus. 
The state was ruthless and single-minded in its preparation for the strike and in undermining it once it began. But the strike they'd feared wasn't what the TUC had in mind. The general strike in 1926 never transformed from basic economic objectives to the social and political transformation that a mass strike could achieve. And it's important to remember the type of people who are happy about that. Beatrice Webb, who interestingly coined the term collective bargaining and also founded the Fabians, wrote that it was good the general strike failed because Parliamentary Labour Party will again dominate the situation. After the unconditional surrender, there was despair of industrial action. To this has been added renewed hopes in salvation through the ballot box. Obviously, workplace organising is hell and has become further hellified since the 80s. Like, there's all these graphs and you can see it um, with, like, Reagan and Thatcher in America where union membership for various reasons, union membership declines, but also like the power of unions in many ways declines um, and their, their status and their role on a on a national level. And you can just see like real terms pay go <whistles> and then corporate profits go like the same, like the, it's almost as if the union membership thing was having some balance and effect on capital. Union membership overall in the UK has declined massively since Thatcher. That's for a number of reasons. The laws that are passed are a more restrictive framework for union activity, as well as like shifts in the economy towards service and white collar work. You know, service work does not have to not be unionized. You can obviously unionize and organize in, in these contexts. Cultural attitudes changes towards unions. I think individualism, right? Individualism is a hard thing to meld with workplace organizing. Um, and solidarity in and general, so, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and, and, and uh, but also the casualization of workers and the increase in jobs, you know, it's not just moving into quote-unquote white-collar work. A lot of people are like freelancers and they are self-employed and they are their own boss. So how it, it's very difficult for you to organize. And I guess I've experienced both because I've experienced like the public sector teaching which is a very like traditionally remains quite an organized part of the economy because the way work happens is still very similar and the way a strike can have an effect is still very similar retail which i'm aware is you know less way less organized than it could be i've organized in that context but then i've worked in comedy or just the, you know the comedy industry in general and my god we have no hope but there's also jobs which feel completely like job jobs but when you read your contract and stuff you're like oh i'm self-employed i'm <laughs> you know i'm not an employee of anything i just work for myself but i have a boss i have to go <laughs> to a specific place yeah. i have these shifts i need to turn up to but i'm just a freelancer i've got I've, you know i just do what i like <laughs> um, yeah i mean i've never done like union organizing mm. because i think for a lot of my 20s I had four jobs a lot mm. of the time. Like I've been, I think I was a member of Unison for a while when I worked yeah. for a charity for a number of years. Um, but I only worked part-time and I was doing comedy in the evenings and I had another job with another charity on mm. zero hours. Doing a lot of zero hours thing was you have to go through training. Yeah. And then only when you've completed all the training and the induction, then you're eligible to get hired on for work and it doesn't come. Mm. <laughs> but also they're wasting a bit of time training yeah. you as well. It just doesn't seem, who's that working for? I wouldn't know how I could possibly organise effectively when I'm juggling that many roles. And also roles where I don't really know my, um, my colleagues really yeah. very well. Even in comedy, you can build loads of relationships and then you can build a really good relationship with someone who you don't see for several months because yeah. they're off doing something else. Yeah. And also comedy in particular, a lot of arts jobs, you have a project that you're doing, but then that splinters and you get other offers of work. Mm. The problem with freelancing is you just go to whatever seems sensible at the time, whatever's lucrative, whatever has a funding bid or whoever's offering some money right now, something new is just starting up, go and do this. And it shifts your focus and attention and also the people you're working with just off at some like 90 degrees angle and you're over here now. So whatever grievances I had before, well, I have new ones, <laughs> but I won't be here long enough to work out what they are or resolve them. <laughs> and then I'm off and gone. And this is one of the major problems for the tactics of 20th century labour organising. Yeah. Because the, the structure of labour now looks like, you know, less of an ant colony and more of an ant colony when you've just poured boiling water on it and everyone's off in exodus <laughs> looking for their own little leaves and dying. It's, it's fucked up. So th there's, 
and it's it's lots of levels as well. So there's the whole like quasi self-employment thing of you know Uber drivers or Amazon delivery drivers or people who are like self-employed but they're not really self-employed. They clearly have an employer, but their work is structured in a way to make it seem like it's not partly to, well, not partly, to exploit them more. And then even in workplaces, there's loads of anti-union stuff in place, like loads of the things that are, you know, Amazon's notorious for having all these targets for workers in their fulfillment centers fulfillment centers yeah um, the no piss depot yeah but and it's a lot of it's about productivity but a lot of it's also about preventing worker organization so a lot of the things i was talking about like having a one-to-one -one conversation you can't have that if you're on the piss clock yeah you can't have that one-to-one -one conversation you can't um the sort of informal groups that would emerge team projects and stuff don't work you're kept like isolated or even competing against each other to meet targets and uh, if you don't meet that target, you're not going to get some bonus that would bring your pay to slightly near a living wage or whatever. Fast food restaurants, again, it's difficult if you're, the, the intensity of the work makes it difficult to organize. So the things that are designed to increase profit and increase the well, exploitation, sometimes by design, sometimes just de facto anti-union measures, just the way the economy it's like evolved but also devolved it's like uh the model of capitalism and the model of organizing the capitalism is still in people's heads like the factory and globally there's still a fuckload of factories hmm. but there's a lot of work that is just transient like it's a project you're on for a couple of months and then you're not yeah or, or doing it or even doing it remotely like work from home which has loads of advantages for many people is also big disadvantage for organizing but yeah, that is something that's a default chats. to a lot of work so yeah the 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 i mean christ you know the the downsides of quote unquote office banter are we need not go into uh, everyone knows what these are however there's pros to that for organizers which is very difficult to be like can i just jump on a zoom chat with you yeah oh i know weird. we only work together and we only talk to pass files between each other <laughs> but do you want to just jump on a zoom chat <laughs> so I know, and i won't tell you what it's about <laughs> but like, you just you just open up a window and be like why are you pissed off <laughs> <laughs> but loads of work in the arts is just like like that anyway you might meet mm -hmm. up to shoot something or record something or to perform something on like a day but loads of work before and after it's just like completely separate. There's a kind of soft feedback in that when you are freelancing and you do you are in a position where you can pick your work, you just veer away from the stuff that's shit. But that <laughs> yeah. means that the the employers or however you want to call them, right? Mm. They're not actually getting feedback on why no one's working with them because they're not receiving <laughs> a letter, right? They're not being yeah. like this policy and this policy and this pay and this condition you've got, they're the reason I'm not working with you. No, 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 it's freelance work. Mm. Everyone's smiling, everyone's very gracious. No, I can't make it. I'm very busy at the moment. I can't do that project now. So they're never getting like, they're never getting the social pressure no. to like overturn whatever it is they're doing that makes their proposition more shit. Yeah, it's not only are they not getting the strike because you can't organize a strike in that context. They're not even yeah. getting the level one letter of grievance signed by yeah they're not getting any sensation that yeah. there's grievance in the world with them because mm -hmm. because i'm onto better stuff now don't want to work with this dickhead but you know it's the sun's <laughs> shining right now but i might be back in that dickhead's court in a few months yeah. i don't want to have sent them a letter of grievance mm -hmm. one thing i think about with a lot of these like hyper individualized servicey jobs is that they often are ones that deals with members of the public yes and so you're seeing like the rise of like not even boycotts, but just members of the public sort of having a go at a business mm. on like their Facebook page or just making it like clear that they're not going to shop there in future. I think of like you ever had it where you're, you're trying to tip a server or somewhere, yeah, and they've just let you know, oh yeah, if you if you do that, it doesn't actually go to me; it goes to the manager. And you're like, oh fucking hell, yeah. And then like you know that, and then I've like. I've gone into a similar place in future and be like, sorry, how do I give a tip here? So I know that you've you. got this policy. Yeah. yeah. How do I give a tip to the server here? You can say it to like management and then getting this indirect feedback via the public. Mm. And I think in places where you have, like I remember a really early episode we did with Stacey Clare talking about oh, yeah, yeah. Um, sex work unions and stuff. In, in the show that was about that, a lot of people who were like strip club attendees. Yeah 
were there in solidarity, which confounded a lot of my prejudices about <laughs> strip club middle-aged <laughs> men. For them yeah. to be like, I really want your conditions to be good yeah. when you're like getting your tits out. I was like, yeah, well, I guess it takes all sorts. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I guess that's an industry where you build very good relationships, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, between the service and, and the customer. And they can be like, if you guys are going on strike, then I'm going to, like, support you in it, and I won't. I, I as the customer, ain't going to scab on it. The, the, the spin on stuff is often, like, worker versus the public because they don't want to make it seem like worker versus management so it's always like how's the strike affecting the punters but if punters are engaged well they would you like someone to scab on you no you wouldn't would you so a lot of people that is their moral metric of well i wouldn't like someone to do that to me so you get these kind of informal social protests and they're like often really isolated or or like really pocketed just against some shitty restaurant and enough Mm. people know someone who worked there like someone did a story on social media and it got shared around yeah and then they have to revert that it's not like reliable and there's and the, and the, no. <laughs> the really sad thing is that it has to like navigate the algorithm often mm-hmm. to like make anything happen but uh a lot of places fold more quickly to public pressure because a lot of places are reliant on selling to the public but it is it's hard isn't it just i've successfully organized in workplaces where there's like already a way to do it but yeah. in these new ways of working which again, a lot of them are not new. They're like things that were in there in the 1800s, which says a lot that they're re-emerging. What is that Marx thing? The working class of the grave diggers of capitalism or something? Uh, something like that. Something like that. <laughs> and that is, that is about how the nature of capital, so the exploitation, capitalist exploitation, and the way capital brings people together in order to make a profit it doesn't have to be in a factory because the, the sort of service work, fast food restaurant fulfillment centers we've already spoken about, they're very similar to the sort of factory of Marx's imagining in the 1800s. These like weird little self-employed things where there's the one, and I'm talking about both of them, but like the ones where you're technically self-employed, you're self, self-employed on a technicality, but really you're an employee, and the ones where you are self-employed. That undermines the collective identity that's really important to working class organising. And you are literally and psychologically isolated. You're alone, Mm. you're atomised. And that is the opposite of what can make working class organisation successful. It's like you're, you're fragmented and you're not just fragmented and isolated, you are insecure. As an individual, it's way harder for you to kick off at an employer because also your employer isn't like your employer that you have a contract with. That every employee you have is also a potential future employer. So every interaction is like a job application. Yeah. And you can't put your grievances in a job application. <laughs> yes. Right after your little <laughs> skills, proficient in the Adobe Creative Suite. By the way... <laughs> Your leave of absence policy makes me sick. I work well in a team and also on my own. So I think, and people are doing that work. You know, people are trying to organise in these contexts. But there's a lot of the economy where that is difficult. Mm. Um, even And that's even aside, and that's just the nature of the economy. Well, it's not just the nature of the economy. It's the nature of the economy has been brought about by the people who are able to control the economy and the structures that influence the economy. There's all the anti-union stuff that's like literal legislation and stuff that's been done intentionally by companies. So there's companies intentionally recategorizing people as freelancers or self-employed when really they're employees. And there's and there's the state which has made it so you can't do solidarity strikes, but also just the economy. There's just this force that's making stuff harder, but also more necessary. Because if you're being more exploited, it's like you need organization more than ever, right? But that's what it comes down to is like, the, the union legislation that we do have is just a holdover from a whole different like time yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. history yeah. that just hasn't been eradicated yet. So all the future Completely. stuff that's going to be needed to do <laughs> yeah. to, um, to deal with any of it, but still using the same ideas of like collective action, mm-hmm. solidarity with one another, it's going to be extra legal, right? It's not going to be based on like the current legal framework. It's just going to have to be protests that are done ad hoc. <laughs> to requirement yeah because you cannot like there is no union action that you can reasonably take between like you some workers who work in the pub down the road Mm -hmm. and the delivery driver and it's just like our union is just the people who live in this street and then round the corner (laughs) that's it yeah station road union (laughs) 
<laughs> we're not going to take it anymore. <laughs> I mean, I, I think the greatest victories of the working class have not come from playing by the established rules of the ruling class and asking them pretty please. Please, boss, just give me a day off. I've got double COVID. Please, please, can I have maternity leave? My laptop's broken. Could you email HR and say, even though the king has requested 17 bushels of wheat, we've had a very <laughs> poor harvest. <laughs> please, sir. Please, sir Nicholas II, can you please step down? Actually, that wasn't work, they did. He did abdicate voluntarily when asked to on the train. Yeah. Although you can't say please. Say please first, I guess. As long as you are the Russian military command and the Tsar's own government, then you could maybe say please. Yeah. Is that you? <laughs> Get in touch. <laughs> <laughs> Mandatory Redistribution Party was created and produced by Sean Morley and Jack Lewis Evans. Our title theme was created by Ella Jean with additional music from Jack Lewis Evans. Thank you for listening to Mandos and special thanks to those of you who support our work by sharing this episode on social media or supporting us at patreon.com slash mandatory redistribution party where you can access bonus content. Support striking workers. Never cross a picket. Mandatory.